What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined as always by publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, it's been a bit of a busy morning today. How you doing? I'm doing good, Mason. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. It was busy because as we're recording this on Tuesday, March 2nd, the Pac-12 announced the schedule for the 2021 season. So quickly getting into that, an overview, the non-conference slate ASU will host Southern Utah in a Thursday game on September 2nd, before then hosting UNLV on September 11th, finishing up the non-conference on the road at BYU on September 18th. And then the conference schedule, they're at home against Colorado on September 25th. Then they hit the road to the Rose Bowl at UCLA on October 2nd before returning home against Stanford on a Friday game on October 8th. And then they're on the road at Utah on October 16th before a bye week and then hosting Washington State on October 30th, USC on November 6th, and then two straight road games in the Pacific Northwest on the road at Washington on November 13th. And for the third year in a row, at Oregon State in Corvallis on November 20th before finishing the year hosting Arizona in the Territorial Cup on November 27th. Quick takes, Chris. So what happens is the the Pac-12 has this algorithm supposed to be randomized. They come up with three schedules in working in partnership, collaboration with the their TV partners, uh, ESPN and Fox Sports 1, um, and then they submit three schedules to all of the school's athletic directors, and then they all vote, and the, the one that gets the most votes ends up being the schedule they go with. This year, um, ASU's least favorite of the three schedules ended up being the, the, the schedule that was selected, and that, according to people I talk to is very rare. Usually it's, it's their preferred schedule or their second preferred schedule. The reason ASU was uh, unhappy, which you mentioned there is they play Oregon state again in November, but not just that they play wash at Washington and at Oregon state in back-to-back games in the Pacific Northwest. I have to look at the other teams, but it, it's pretty rare that you have two back-to-back uh, games um, with the South team in the Pacific Northwest. It's a it's a more of a challenge because of the weather and the travel and 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 those sorts of things. And not surprisingly, ASU is pretty happy with the first eight or nine games. But uh, it would it would be much better, I think, um, if you have more of your divisional games played late in the year because of how the, that sort of the intrigue of that within the standings and whatnot. So I think it would be smarter if they had, you know, um, you know, the Colorado UCLA games, ASU starts out with them uh, at the outset of their schedule. If one or two of those games were against North teams, and then you save a couple of those games until later in the season, I think it would be smarter. Now, of course, the Pacific Northwest teams, they kind of have some of the same issues traveling to Arizona schools in September because it's a lot hotter, Um, you know, but I think you have to strike the right balance. Now, overall, um, it's a a schedule where ASU should be able to be very good in the first half of its season, right? The first five games – I feel like ASU should win at least four of those games. 
um, and then and then uh, they and then um, they play. Uh, so Southern Utah, UNLV, BYU. BYU is a good team on the road. That's a potential loss. They of course lost their their star quarterback, so they're going to have to you know uh, find something out there. Then Colorado at home at U- at uh, UCLA, and then Stanford at home. So six games. ASU should probably win four or five of those games. I think five is probably, um, you know, keeps you on the trajectory that of the expectations that you have set for the season. And then you get to a much different, much more difficult second half of the season. I think at Utah, you know, that's always a tough place to play, or it, it always appears like it's going to be. And then they have a bye. Buys at a pretty good time, you know, uh, October 23rd. Nice time for a buy. Uh, Washington State at home. Game ASU should win. USC at home. I think USC has a lot to replace. ASU was maybe a better team even last year. I think ASU is going to be a favorite probably in that game, especially if they have won um, almost all their games to that point. Then you have this very difficult uh, at Washington, which is maybe the – the odds on favorite in, in the, in the North uh, and then at Oregon state, which is a team that ASU should beat uh, in most situations, but November 20th in Corvallis makes it a lot tougher. And then Arizona at home, ASU should win that game. Uh, I just want to reiterate something I've said on the site and, and probably in the podcast as well. Um, the expectations are deservedly high. ASU is not, ASU knows that the coaches understand it. Uh, I don't, I personally don't think anything less than nine and three is is really acceptable with this team this schedule at this point and where they're at so um so yeah and how would you say the schedule sets up asu's chances in the south because we've talked about the expectations and the goal for asu at least is winning it this year well it's always better to play five conference games uh at home and and it 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 alternates between five and four every year asu's got the five at home this year uh colorado stanford Washington State, USC, and Arizona. I feel like ASU has a reasonable chance of winning all of its home games this year. I there's no way that ASU should lose more than one home game this year. Okay, and then um, BYU, UCLA, Utah, Washington, and Oregon State on the road. Uh, ASU should lose no more than two of those games. So that means ASU really should win at least nine games this year, and um, I will consider an eight and four season to be um, a disappointment. And I I think there is a possibility for this to be a 10 win type 10 win team. If they get, uh, if they get the, what I anticipate to be their play on defense, their run game continues to build off of last year. The whole key to me is, is going to be Jane Daniels and the receivers in the passing game. Um, And then they don't have, you know, they don't play, uh, games where they have a lot of mistakes, turnovers, that kind of thing. Right. And it starts in practice in terms of getting all these pieces to come together and play well. And spring ball officially starts on Wednesday with their first practice on Wednesday morning. Chris, we know you'll be there. Can you first, before we get into a breakdown of the spring, give a little info about the the media policy and how it's going to work this year? Right. So fortunately, uh, we ASU Media Relations made a, uh, submitted a proposal to a committee on the campus to um, uh, to try to get four media members allowed at practice 
for every session of their 15. Um, and it was approved. And um, only one or two other Pac-12 teams are going to have any access for media during this during spring football. So ASU is one of maybe at no more than three. Um, ASU may end up being the only one that has access to every single practice. I think that most will be one other. So that's very fortunate because there's only four spots. We're not going to be able to attend every practice as we normally would, as you know, Mason, but our audience probably doesn't know this. Um, we typically will have three reporters and one or two videographers and maybe a photographer at a typical ASU practice throughout the year. Um, very, very commonly in non-peak times of the year, like when you're in the middle or towards the end of the season, Sun Devil Source will very often have half of the media members, actually, of the, the entire uh, number of media members. You may have, at, you know, when, when, when the numbers, the numbers are always bigger in like early in spring or throughout spring and then in peak times of camp or early season. But uh, in, in those times of year, you may get two dozen uh, people attending the the observation portions of practice, maybe even more sometimes. And so, you know, there's a lot of other media, but then we typically always have the most, I would say, just the, just how much coverage that we actually tend to pump out um, is more than anywhere. And um, so point, point is, it's just going to be me. And also we're going to be confined to one location uh, just inside the gate. So it's not a great observation point. So we're not going to have our normal coverage. And I hope people understand that in terms of the volume of content and, you know, maybe not even in terms of the, the complete quality of the content, unfortunately, but it, it will be very valuable. I will be there as much as I'm allowed to be. Uh, our, my hope is that it's maybe like eight to 10 practices of the 15 that I'm allowed to be there. I don't think it will be less than half. And, um, and we'll do the best that we can. So make sure you, you keep it locked on Sun Devil Source, you know, starting Wednesday morning. It's, it's you know, um, it's just crazy that I've never gone a year where we didn't cover any practices for, for nearly 12 full months and um, in person. So I'm very excited about being back out there. Most definitely. It's a big day. And the, the members in the Devil's Sanctuary are quite excited as well. So if you want the full in-depth analysis, make sure you subscribe and get into the Devil's Sanctuary. But as we look at spring ball, Chris, it's very rare that ASU returns as much production as it does. And obviously the NCAA's eligibility freeze last year due to COVID-19 was, was a huge part in that. All 11 starters on defense come back, nine starters on offense come back, 20 starters in total, and didn't really lose all that much depth to the transfer portal, at least depth that would be competing for spots in the two deep. Uh, so, so implications seem very good. Last year, ASU only got in seven spring ball practices out of their allotted 15. So, and they only played four games. So coaches kind of said last year was, was similar to the preseason in the NFL and kind of going along with their pro model and everything. But, but what's truly possible for ASU in your opinion with all this returning production? Well, that's the thing. Uh, I don't know that there's been any year that I've covered ASU football. This will be my, I think, 18th year covering the team full-time um, that they've had 20 returning starters. Like they have all 11 starters back on defense. They have nine starters back on offense. The only two that they don't have coming back 
Um, you know, it's like their starting center, Kay Cody, who was not an above average Pac-12 player, and Frank Darby, who really didn't even play last year after getting hurt against USC the first game. So, um, you know, effectively, it's like almost like they are returning, you know, 21 starters pretty much. And that, that just doesn't happen. Like, you, uh, you know, I, I don't keep track like every single year of how many starters come back. I probably should start doing that, but um, you know, and, and ASU, as you know, was one of the best defenses in the PAC 12 last year. Scoring defense was best. They were the best run defense in the PAC 12 last year, small sample size, only four games. You have to see it over a larger sample size. Their offense was quite young. Uh, in spots, their skill positions, you know, um, in particular wide receiver. Um, so ASU should be a better football team, very clearly. They also were incorporating new offenses and defenses last year. They should be more better versed in those areas. They should have one of the best secondaries in the con- in, in the conference, maybe even in the country. They, their pass rush was actually quite impressive for not blitzing a ton. Their offensive line was the best that we've seen probably in years. They are running game, tremendous guys. They didn't uh, have any drop-off whatsoever despite losing Eno Benjamin. Uh, Jaden Daniels, to me, Jaden Daniels has to become now one of the best quarterbacks in the country, period, uh, this year. And if he does, then I think ASU, uh, if he has a type of season he's capable of and that we all expect him to have, I think ASU will win the Pac-12 South this year. And I will be for the first time in all likelihood, you know, we have to see about injuries and how things look in practices, but I am right now trending toward picking ASU to win the South for the first time in my Pac-12 media poll ballot. Right. And spring ball, especially you being there in person will go a long way in you making those determinations. And obviously that'll be extremely important, but as we get into a breakdown of, of each position very quickly here, uh, make sure before we do this, that you can go and see in-depth breakdowns of all the, the positions ahead of spring ball on the site at send So make sure you go check those out. But, but as we look at it, Chris at quarterback, we have a projected depth chart as well on the site that you guys can go check out in depth. I'll read off what we have listed, and then you can get into a, a breakdown. Chris at quarterback, obviously it's Jaden Daniels uh, backed up by a mix of either Trenton Borget, Dalen Micklemore and Finn Collins. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's all Jaden Daniels world, right? Uh, you know, there's no, there's no way that if Jaden Daniels is not out there on the field, um, that ASU is going to be nearly as good, period. Uh, Borget is an operator. He knows the scheme. He's extremely smart, cerebral, you know, undersized, you know, not, not as big of an arm. There's some physical limitations. I don't know for sure who's, who the backup's going to be. We're going to have to see. Finn Collins is a big arm coming in. Um, there's a lot of things he's going to have to get acclimated to. Dalen Macklemore went through a pretty aggressive transitional type of a year. There's a lot of things with his mechanics that they're still working on. I'll be interested in seeing who wins the backup job. Right. And at running back, ASU returns everyone from last season and they pretty much overperformed, I think, relative to expectations last year. And now the expectations are that much higher. First team, it's going to be either Rashad White or Diamante Trainum. Uh, second team, same, depending on who loses the job for the starter. Both will likely get a, a split of reps, though, throughout the season. And then uh, reserves, Daniel Nagata and DJ Taylor. Yeah, I think people will remember. I I, I said last year, um, you know, don't expect drop off, even though Benjamin was leaving. Rashad White and and Trey and um, extremely impressive. Um, they're NFL backs. 
those guys for sure. And you still want to see more diversity and more ability to get them into space with the ball in their hands, especially white in the passing game. I think Badger will take a big jump this year. Um, he sort of had a slower acclimation period, but I gave him maybe even a higher grade um, than the others um, in terms of his overall upside. He is like, you know, Benjamin type of a guy, but maybe even a little bit more athletic if you can imagine it. And moving on to our X wide receiver position. And once again, just a reminder, this is Sun Devil Source projected depth chart. So this is based on uh, our predictions and, and also scrupulous information gathering. But at X wide receiver, we have Elijah Badger with the first team after he was ruled academically ineligible last season, backed up by either Andre Johnson or LV Bunkley Shelton. Yeah, people will be surprised to hear that we have Badger projected as a starting X. Um, now, remember, Jalen Thompson, the Utah wide receiver, is not going to be practicing this spring. He arrives at ASU more like in May-June time frame. So he could actually come in there and battle. But the Badger was apparently like maybe the best receiver that they had in practices last year, even though he was academically um, ineligible to play in games. Uh, LV Bunkley Shelton, I thought he got off to a good start, and he's a really, really good leverage underneath X. Uh, H, pardon me, receiver. Um, so Ricky Pearsall, he he can be moved around. He's a versatile guy. I think he's capable. And they have these other guys that are sneaky good there, I think, in terms of like what they can be. Johnny Wilson, 6'7", much better against Arizona and Oregon State than he was against USC. I think he'll take a big jump. Jordan Porter is a speed burner who's also 6'2", long arms. He can stretch the defense. Um, I, I, I think Andre Johnson is, is probably underappreciated, underappreciated in terms of his sort of big route running potential, double moves, post corners, uh, his ability to stretch the field as well. So they have some, I think they're going to have some, some sort of game breaking and big play capability at, at that position this year. Right, and, and you mentioned it. Some of these guys have some positional versatility within the receiver core, but at H receiver, we have on the first team a, a battle between Ricky Pearsall and Ellie Bunkley-Shelton. Whoever loses that backs up on the second team, and then we have Junior Alexander as a reserve at H. Yeah, um, I, there'll, there'll be some sorting that happens, but some of these guys are able to move around and have versatility, especially you go into the second year of their scheme. And then as we finish off the receivers at Z, we have Johnny Wilson with the first team, Jordan Porter with the second team, and Chad Johnson Jr. as a reserve. Uh, you know, Wilson, I think, is probably more likely to beat Porter, but they both will probably play a lot. They're a little bit different. Wilson, he's, you know, in these condensed formations, he'll look like a tight end, um, a flexed-out tight end. Um and he's a guy that you can throw the ball to in, in, in the red zone and jump ball situations and when you need to move the chains. And he should be able to be a physical presence. I think from a blocking standpoint, these guys look pretty good also uh, for first-year players um, between Wilson and, and LV Bunkley-Shelton. And I, I, I think that this group is, again, one that I'm highlighting as one of the most important to watch um, in the spring and in camp in terms of really ascertaining whether or not ASU is a favorite in the South. And something that needs to be updated on our projected depth chart as this news happened after it was already published with Utah wide receiver, Brian Thompson transferring to ASU. Where do you see him fitting into this equation? Uh, I think he'll end up be, being an ex competitor with Elijah Badger. And as we look at tight ends, a uh, lot of, 
maybe loftier expectations, especially for guys like Curtis Hodges, who who kind of broke out last year. Uh, but the rest of the unit a little younger. We have Hodges with the first team, backed up by Oklahoma freshman transfer Jalen Conyers and senior walk-on John Stivers, and then reserves Jake Ray and Ryan Morgan. Yeah, Curtis Hodges made a pretty big jump last year, uh, transitioning schemes, and uh, I think he's he's kind of turned the corner from a mentality standpoint and should be able to build a lot more uh, with Jalen Conyers, um, really big athletic upside. He's never played with his hand in the ground. That's going to be a developmental process, but when they go to two tight end structures, he's not going to need to have his hand in the ground and you're going to have some pretty good athleticism out there. Uh, I think the other guys are more like, you know, they can play a role. John Stivers can be an inline role. Um, I haven't seen anything yet from Jake Ray or Ryan Morgan because we haven't watched practices, but I'm just not expecting either one of them to make an impact. And then fullback slash H-back, we have Case Hatch with the first team backed up by Ryan Morgan or Ethan Long. Yeah, Case Hatch is, you know, he's the guy in that role. Um, I'll be interested to see, like, how much that they carve out for him in terms of just personnel groupings and, and what they do. He's got a, a long way to go to really fully tap into the, you know, what, what it takes to be a great fullback from a skill standpoint, but the potential is there. And along the offensive line, ASU right now is currently holding 19 scholarship players at the position. Uh, there is very likely going to be attrition across the roster moving forward, but that's what they come in with entering the spring. At left tackle, we have Kellen Deesh with the first team, backed up by Ladarius Henderson, and then reserves Ralph Frias, Elijah Bates, and Isaiah Glass. Yeah. Um, look, I just think with their you know, tackle situation – we got really great, um, you know, look at a guy that surprised everyone, in my opinion, last year in Kellen Deesh. Um, I, I, you know, we saw in the spring, he looked like he was good, but then he ended up being one of the best tackles actually in the Pac-12, despite having never played before uh, four years at Texas A&M, which is kind of a surprise. And the fact that he's back, I, I, I think this is one of ASU's better NFL prospects who's a senior and he's poised to really do great things. Ladarius Henderson is a backup who, um, if he doesn't end up being beating out Ben, I mean, um, um, Henry Haddis at right guard, uh, which is possible, then Henderson becomes your sixth guy who's capable of playing right guard, right tackle, or left tackle. And as we look at the rest of the offensive line for our first team, we have Donovan West at left guard. Uh, competition between Ben Scott and Tristan Miller, the North Carolina redshirt freshman transfer at center. Henry Haddis and Ladarius Henderson, as you mentioned, Chris, for in a battle for first team at right guard. And then Ben Scott at right tackle, obviously pending the competition at center. Ladarius Henderson, you've mentioned it before, probably the sixth offensive lineman at worst and backing up uh, – several different positions, right tackle, right guard, left guard, and left tackle, and then a bunch of the younger guys uh, on reserve. Yeah, so as I said earlier, the center position is the one that we're watching most closely because K. Cody is, is gone. ASU coaches think there's a chance for Tristan Miller to uh, come in and, and maybe win that job, even though he's never played center in the past which is, you know, a question. But at North Carolina, he told us he practiced at primarily right guard, right tackle. Um, but he is a low center of gravity 
athlete who has great feet and fires off the football. And so there's a lot of physical traits about him that if he could play center would be great. If, if um, he's not able to, then, then you got maybe Ben Scott who moves from right tackle to center and you play Ladarius Henderson at right tackle. Uh, the other possibilities, I guess, would be that you, you know, you go with one of a couple other guys that aren't as probably promising, Jarrett Bell, Cody Shear, um, or you try to hold out and you see what Ezra Dotson Oyatade looks like once he arrives in the summer. I think it's a long shot for him to end up winning the job. And if it happens, it probably means that other guys weren't uh, weren't looking really great at that center position. That the, the guards, um, you pretty much plug and play them from last year. But it, <clears throat> pardon me, it is important to say that um, ASU has absolutely for sure one of the best guards in the Pac-12 and Donovan West now going into his third year as a starter. Um, you know, he might end up he might end up being. The, the, the top offensive guard in, in the conference this year, actually. Yeah. Big year for Donovan West. It'll be interesting to see whether or not, I mean, cause he'll be draft eligible. So interesting to see what decision he makes after this season, but looking at the defensive line at nose tackle first team, DJ Davidson backed up by TJ Pesfea three technique, Jermaine Lole backed up by either Shannon Foreman, Stefan Wright, or Omar Norman Lott. The latter two won't be participating in the spring, as Chris has mentioned on the board and on previous podcasts. At right end, Tyler Johnson, backed up by either Trevez Moore, the LSU transfer, or Joe Moore. And then at left end, Michael Matus, backed up by either Amiri Johnson or Anthony Cooper, with some of the younger guys on reserve. Right, so what they're going to do this year is they'll move – Matus from right end to left end last year, they, they, they basically split Tyler Johnson and Matus at, at right end. Um, but Matus was so good. And Tyler Johnson is kind of, you know, one of their best players when everything's working for him and they have some issues with their backup three tech situation because Stefan Wright's out with the shoulder and Omar Norman lots out with the knee for the spring. So what they'll do is they'll move Shannon Foreman inside the three technique where he's probably, you know, at least as well suited, if not more so than left end. And the nose tackle situation is really good. Uh, with DJ Davidson, TJ Pesafea backing him up. And I think everybody knows Jermaine Lole is one of the best defensive tackles in the Pac-12. Or if they don't, they really should uh, as a three technique. Uh, as a starter there. So I'm interested very much in seeing Amiri Johnson, where he's at after missing last year with a groin injury. And he got a little bit too heavy, according to to Robert Rodriguez. So they're trying to get some weight off of him. He has a chance at at left end. And then let's also take a look at the newcomers, uh, Trevez Moore in particular, the LSU transfer. Um, You know, what does he bring uh, as a pass rusher? at right end and can he push especially maybe being a passing down option and then joe moore um i want to see you know we didn't get to see him during his red shirt year last year or not not even red shirt year because you know there's eligibility freeze but what would have been his red shirt year um, i'm interested in seeing kind of how he looks there's a lot of guys there to check out and in terms of linebackers the starters all remain the same from last season uh, the 
the entire defense, as we mentioned, returns all of its starters. So at middle linebacker, you got Kyle Soley backed up by Will Schaefer or Caleb McCullough, and then newcomer Jaden Williams as a reserve. And at both outside linebacker spots, you got Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler coming back as starters, and they're backed up by Connor Soley or Jordan Banks, and Caleb McCullough also could be in there as well, as well as Eric Gentry, a newcomer. Right. So you know, I, I think the linebackers – um, looked great against USC, and then they had other games where they didn't look as good, especially UCLA. Still got to get those guys better in pass coverage, understanding zone situations, having better feel for receivers. Also got to be more wrecking balls, uh, taking on and destroying blocks, getting off of them and getting back to the ball. Uh, I feel like Merlin Robertson, you know, he needs to have a pretty big jump this year for his NFL prospects. Uh, Kyle Soley, you know, probably underappreciated and someone who's a middle linebacker. He's Antonio Pierce calls him a pointer, which means that he understands what's going to happen before it, it happens. That's something that linebackers have to do in order to be the, the really at the high end. And we need to see more that more from that from Roland Robertson uh, projecting forward. Darian Butler, you know, he's a great team captain, I think there's a lot of things that he provides. He got a little bit leaner and lighter and more, more athletic last year, which was positive. And all those freshmen, uh, as you know, Mason, they all stepped up and had like interceptions. It felt like every single one of them almost had an interception uh, late in the season, especially against Arizona. And they're, they're very promising. I think Kayla McCullough is going to get bigger, stronger and more athletic. Uh, I, I feel like Will Schaefer was a steal somebody that blue shirted out of Saguaro and, and he's, you know, sort of in the mold of uh, Darian Butler, um, you know, and Jordan Banks was the highest regarded of those guys. And, and, and he's good too. Connor Soley, another guy underappreciated coming out of Saguaro. I think he's a great athlete and um, a guy who really is cerebral as well. So uh, their linebacker situation looks really, really good. And Gentry, we'll see where he's at. He's like a, he's like a big baby deer doesn't need to play this year. Um, you know, but he's everybody six, six and 215 pounds or so. And he looks really skinny. He might end up a defensive end down the line, but let's just take a look and see how well he bends and moves out there. Right. And Connor Soley last year, I thought played pretty well, especially considering it was his first year at linebacker after transitioning from his former spot at Tillman safety. But as we look at the defensive backfield at cornerback, we've touched on it before right now, ASU has a lot more cornerbacks than they do safeties. Uh, They'll see kind of how the situation looks in the spring and might move some of those guys over. But at right cornerback, you have Chase Lucas backed up by Tamarcus Davis. Left cornerback Jack Jones comes back, also backed up by Tamarcus Davis. He's their top number three corner. And then at nickel cornerback, Jordan Clark, backed up by either Mason Williams or T. Lee. And then, as I said, a bunch of guys in reserve, Isaiah Johnson, Tommy Hill, Robert Reagan, Willie Hartz, Keon Markham, and Edward Woods. They're loaded. This is the most loaded we've ever seen ASU um, going back decades uh, at their cornerback position. Uh, the, The starting duo... Jack Jones, as long as he's, you know, focused and doing what he's supposed to be doing. Last year he got suspended, obviously. Um, but he and Chase Lucas, they form what, in my opinion, is the best duo in, in the Pac-12 coming back this year. And Tamarcus Davis is every bit a Pac-12 starter caliber player right now. That's why he's – they're back up at both spots. They could end up in a three-man rotation, potentially go with the hot hand. 
Um, they have all this young talent kind of behind those guys. And at the nickel position, Jordan Clark got his feet wet last year, playing for the first time. Needs to be a little bit more decisive and reactive. He was a little bit cautious, I thought, on the field at times. But that's going to um, that's gonna improve as he feels more comfortable with his reps. Um, everybody, I think, saw there, there was uh, Edward Woods play, started the second half of a game late in the year. And he's got a lot of potential, and we know that um, th- that um, Tommy Hill coming in this spring is a, is their highest rated guy who's on campus as a high school early graduate, and you know we want to see kind of what he looks like. They're going to move some of these corners to safety, and the reason that you that you have more guys at corner now is you want to see who has the 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 athleticism, the foot speed the ability to redirect and cover much easier. You really can't move guys. If, if guys can't place, you know, safety effectively, you can't move them to corner. You can only move corners to safeties really, uh, or you should only be doing that. So that's why you play more guys at corner. You see which guys aren't going to be in that because they're so talented at the top. You see which guys are maybe their third teamers. And then you move those guys to play backup roles at safety. Right. And as we look at the safeties now, the two spots, Evan Fields comes back as well as DeAndre Pierce as the first teamers and then backed up by Kiwan Markham, Cam Phillips, or walk on Elijah Gamage. Uh, Evan Fields is one of the best safeties in the conference, um, especially uh, um, stopping the ball. I mean, he's phenomenal uh, at getting to and making plays on the ball carrier, uh, violent physical athletic guy who can run like the wind, you know, one of the fastest guys on the team want to see him get a little bit more versatile with his coverage skills. And I'm interested in seeing how that goes. Uh, Deandre Pierce is a guy who does everything. Um, just nothing at a, at an elite level. He's just a very solid, reliable player. Their backups are questionable there. You know, Kiwan Markham, he has a great potential. Uh, he's a big athlete who can, you know, sub 1100 meter, you know, sprinter at 200 plus pounds and six, two or something like that. So he's, he's got a really big upside. Elijah Gamage is sort of you know, similar to, um, the, uh, uh, Pierce, Andre Pierce, and then, um, Cam Phillips, I'm interested in seeing kind of, you know, what happens after he went through some challenges in the last year. Right, and as for the team's kicking situation, Christian Zendejas entered the transfer portal, hasn't yet found a destination as we're recording this on Tuesday, March 2nd. It's unknown whether he would return and his status. But right now, for the first team, we have a battle between Jack Luckhurst, walk-on, and Logan Tyler, who handled place-kicking duties last year. Um, one of those two would, would back up the other. Yeah, so we'll see about Zendejas. He he possibly could be back. I mean, if, if if that's the case, then it just you know makes your your battle even that much better. Luckhurst has a bigger leg than Zendejas, and you know replaced him at the end of the season, which precipitated Zendejas entering the transfer portal. Logan Tyler was a punter at Florida State, but also a talented kicker um, coming up. And in his development, he decided that he wanted to transition and to try to being a full time kicker. I think that's because he sees that as more more likely that he can make some money 
playing the game after college. And so they have a lot of talent there and we don't know who's going to win it. And kicking is one of those things where it's a little bit sort of finicky and, and you just have to see who's playing uh, at their best at the time. What happens in March may be very different than what happens in August, September. As for punters, we have Michael Turk coming back with the first team backed up by Logan Tyler and then freshman newcomer Eddie Chaplicki. Well, um, that's probably as good as anybody in the, in the country right there, right? Michael Turk is the incredible leg. Um, you know, he's been working on his directional punting. I think the biggest challenge was his, uh, his moderation of his leg on shorter field kicks um, or punts was a little bit of an issue last year. And that's something that people are going to be watching uh, closely. Logan Tyler's um, fantastic for a backup. And, and, and uh, then they have a freshman coming in who I'm sure will redshirt. And then one of the most underappreciated positions in football, in my opinion, because they're only noticed when they're doing poorly is long snapper. And ASU has two walk-ons, uh, first team, Gage King, second team, Eric Dickerson. Yeah, um, you know, we haven't seen really any issues with ASU snapping, so that that's a sign they have good players there and probably should continue to be very stable. As for the returners, kick return, we have DJ Taylor, who obviously really came on last year, almost ran one back against UCLA before getting tripped, did run one back at the beginning of the Territorial Cup. Uh, he's with the first team at kick return, backed up by Rashad White. And then punt returners, we have Rashad White with the first team and Jack Jones, who... Muffed one last year with the second team. Yeah, that's pretty great. Again, uh, DJ Taylor, I think he clearly looked like he has the potential to be one of the best kick returners in, in the country. Not just the speed that he has when he gets loose, but his vision and his ability to set up um, with how he moves his body to get guys going opposite of where he actually wants to go he sees and he sets that up with his movement earlier and quicker than the vast majority of even really good athletes who play who play in the role so he has a special feel and vision that enables um him to access the speed so that that is really quite something. And Rashad White, uh, you know, with the punt returners, you want guys that have that nimble initial quick ability to make guys miss. Like remember Nikhil Harry, even though he was a bigger guy, he had that just sort of gliding ability to kind of float in the first second or two and change directions. And guys would, the, the gunner guys would fly by him. And then you get some space to start to turn the corner and run. And Rashad White has some of that capability as well. And that's just a brief position by position breakdown before we get into the spring. If you want much more detailed insight and analysis, make sure once again, you go check out our spring position primers on the site at sundevilsource.com. Before we wrap this thing up, Chris, get into a quick little basketball segment here. ASU didn't get to play their initially scheduled last home game of the season on Monday against Washington state because of COVID-19 issues within the Cougars program. So they ended their, 2021 home season on a game winner by Remy Martin 
on senior night. So I don't know if you could have written it any better than that. Uh, ASU isn't done with the regular season, though. They're on the road this week at Colorado and Utah, albeit, I mean, put a little asterisk there because you never know in the era of COVID-19 which games are going to be played and which aren't. Uh, right now, though, looking ahead to the Pac-12 tournament, is it still feasible that ASU is in a spot where they can get a bye in the first round? Well, you know, first of all, I, I think we could have written it better, Mason. Like maybe if ASU was a really good team and there was a That's full fair. desert financial arena and it, and it happened in a game to win the Pac-12 conference, you know, I mean, it, it came in a disappointing season. So there's like sort of anticlimactic or bittersweet in, 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 in a lot of respects. But Remy Martin, I mean, it, the guy has a heart of a warrior. And I mean, to end it on a game winner, like end your potentially end your ASU career on a game winner is more what I meant, but you make a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, pretty cool for him. And also it was his eighth straight 20 point game, which tied Eddie house for the record. So, right. and all his family was there and it was pretty emotional. He was pointing to the yeah. name on his back. It, I mean, those things are more what I meant, but yeah. 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 Well, as far as it relates to their season and their prospects, th there was a chance actually, um, you know, of them winning out and then uh, other teams kind of losing some difficult games and um, and then ASU moving up into the fifth spot for the last bye at the Pac-12 tournament. Like that was actually possible. It's now definitely less, you know, less possible. I would say it's a maybe a 5% chance or something like that. Everything kind of has to fall right, and they have to win. They have to beat Colorado on the road and Utah, which is tough. I mean, you know, it's you know very unlikely that all those things will kind of all come together. But that's why they wanted Washington State was because that gave them one more opportunity for a win and a little bit easier. And the bye is so essential because, you know, winning three games in a row in the Pac-12 tournament to win the to win it is is, you know, it's just easier than having to win four games in a row. And especially when you are, um, you know, you're playing, um, you know, an equivalent maybe, or maybe not quite as good team as you in the first round, right? Because ASU as, you know, a six, seven, eight seed, you know, then you have to play, uh, you know, a good team, uh, you know, um, you know, at the outset, you got to play, you know, the, the, you know, it's like a, you know, seven, the eight, nine game or whatever. So, uh, you know, a team that is capable of beating you, I guess is a better way to say it. So, um, and then you got to play one extra day in a row, which, you know, f f four games in a row, much tougher than three games in a row. So, um, you know, it, they have, they are playing better of late. They won three games in a row for the first time all season. Um, you know, it may be sort of better for them if they weren't going to get the five seed that they get a little bit of a breather and only play two games this week instead of six games in a span of like, you know, um, 13 days or whatever it would have ended up being. Um, you know, it, I still think that they, Josh Christopher is probably not going to play again. I don't think my opinion, not anything that I and reporting that's just my guess um i i do think though that marcus bagley can come back and they can get almost all of their roster situated and they have a chance to do something um you know i don't think they're going to win the pack 
12 tournament or anything, but I, it wouldn't be a surprise whatsoever if they're playing on Friday in the semifinals with a chance to, uh, to win that game and, and, and go into the, go into the finals. I, I just think that uh, the PAC 12 is open enough and they've very clearly played very competitively against the best teams in the conference, including on the road, USC and UCLA. So why, why would we not think that, uh, that that's possible? Right. And Marcus Bagley was warming up uh, through portions of Saturday's game, uh, got dressed out in game shorts and looked like he might go, uh, but obviously didn't end up playing, but he seems close and it does appear like he'll make a return. I'll be interested in seeing if the PAC 12 tournament can be played like just in full without any COVID-19 stoppages and, and which teams might not play. I mean, Arizona already self-imposed a ban and they're not participating, Chris. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I think that there's just way too much unpredictability. I mean, we saw Washington State have to bail on a game against ASU an hour and a half before the game right. uh, on Monday. So, so clearly there's, you know, there's a lot of potential for teams to not be able to play and then teams advance and maybe you don't have to win four games in a row or three games in a row. So that makes it a little bit maybe easier for a team. And by the way, if any team is sort of due for a break, it's probably ASU, right? I mean, some of these other teams played literally six more games in their conference than ASU got to play because they had way less disruption. So maybe like in the maybe that means the odds are that it's more possible that ASU can, you know, or maybe it's just not ASU season, which it clearly seems to not be. Right. That's a a good point and I think it's I'm just I'm just interested in seeing how it all ends up working out. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Chris, before you completely wrap this thing up, any final thoughts? Well, yes, look, if you're not a member on Sun Devil Source, ASU has, we didn't even talk about this, but they got a second four-star recruit. Uh, they got their highest ever uh, uh, safety prospect committed to the program, Larry Turner Gooden from uh, Southern California. Uh, and they have two four-star commits earlier than ever. They're, they are probably headed for what is shaping up to be one of their better recruiting classes of all time, if not their best. They, uh, as we talked about earlier, they should be a favorite to win the South or at least right there with USC. So this is going to be one of the more intriguing, more interesting years to follow ASU football. And right now we have a a very special promotion on this site. Um, It's 50% off a membership and you get CBS all access at no additional cost um, included for the year. And, and listen, uh, CBS All Access, which is becoming Paramount Plus, a lot of people are talking about, does that include Yellowstone? Yes, you can stream Yellowstone. I know everybody's watching that show. It's That by itself costs $6 for the version with commercials. So that costs by itself $66 a year. This subscription to Sun Devil Source is less than $66 for the year at 50% off. So it, literally, it's like getting uh, a a free Sun Devil Source with a less than full price CBS All Access or Paramount Plus. So there's really, and it's the best year to do this with, with, with ASU football and recruiting. So if you're not, if you like our podcast, and as Mason said earlier, 
this scratches the surface of what we do with to, with our VIP audience and our all of our member content. It's not even close to what we do. And people go will go on the Devil Sanctuary board and they will see it within like five seconds how how active that the community is and how much content there is and the types of conversations that there are. So really, I'm just saying this ends on Wednesday at midnight. So you're going to get, maybe you're listening to this. Hopefully you're listening to this when we drop it, which is on Tuesday afternoon or around noon. Um, you're only going to have like 36 hours. So take advantage and immediately hop in there if you like our podcast, because you're going to really like being a part of Sunday Source community. Make sure to subscribe. It's a it's a grand old time, and you'll learn more about ASU basketball. By the way, by the way, one more thing, Mason. If you are listening to this and you're a monthly member of Sun Devil Source, you can upgrade to annual, and you can still get this this the CBS All Access as part of that. So if you're if you're you know paying monthly and you like the site, well, it's a no brainer. You should just upgrade to annual, anyways. What are you waiting for? In all essence, is what we're trying to say. No idea. But- But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Mason Kern, saying so long. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.